Hello, and welcome to another installment of Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people who teach it. In this episode, Dr. Kevin Butterfield sits down with Dr. Sean P. Harvey, Library Research Fellow and Associate Professor of History at Seton Hall University, to discuss his research topic titled Albert Gallatin, the Early Republic, and the Atlantic World. As a friendly reminder, there's still time to register for our upcoming Ford Evening Book Talk program featuring Tom Clavin, who will showcase his new book, Valley Forge, on May 7th. More information about the event can be found on the webpage for this podcast at www.mountvernon.org podcast. As always, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast series, and if you have time, please write a review for the series wherever you get your podcasts. And now, we join Drs. Butterfield and Harvey in the studio. When Thomas Jefferson became president, he appointed Albert Gallatin as his Secretary of the Treasury. Why him? Uh, it's a good question. So he had already distinguished himself among um, the Democratic Republicans as being uh, an opponent of the of the national debt, and more specifically, the way the the Federalists since Alexander Hamilton had been funding the national debt. Uh, and he was very good at math. He was very good at math. <laughs> Tell was. me about that. Uh, so uh, he he. Supposedly finished first in his class at the Academy of Geneva, which was uh, one of the foremost universities, uh, analogous to a university uh, in the world. And he uh, had already distinguished himself uh, putting the state of Pennsylvania's uh, state debt in order Hmm. uh, and in coming up with uh, creative ways uh, to fund the debt without resorting to taxes. Uh, so, for instance, he uh, was a leading force behind incorporating the Bank of Pennsylvania to be a, a revenue-producing uh, institution for the state. The state invested in the bank, took dividends, and that obviated the need for, for taxes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've already got a couple of places popped up, uh, Geneva, Pennsylvania. Let's, let's start looking at, at Albert Gallatin's life, and I, and I think we started in Geneva. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So he was born in uh, the Republic of Geneva in 1761. Uh, he, uh, at the time, Geneva was an independent republic, uh, only allied with the Swiss cantons. It was not part of uh, Switzerland. Uh, and he was born I should speak- say not part of the Swiss Confederation. He was born speaking French? Uh, that's right. Uh, well, but he, it took him a little while, but eventually he was speaking <laughs> French. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. French was his first language. Okay. Uh, he, he learned English as a teenager. There were a lot of economic connections between Geneva and uh, England, as well as between Geneva and France, uh, and uh, increasing numbers of Genevans were learning. Uh, was he learning from a wealthy background, or he was? He was what you would call a, an aristocrat. So there was no hereditary nobility in Geneva, but there was a very clear uh, class of patricians who were uh, extremely wealthy from investments in commerce and um, also uh, sovereign debt, particularly the French debt. Uh, and these patricians have monopolized political power, and uh, Gallatin's family was, was among them. He himself was an orphan, uh, but his grandparents and his extended family were very powerful. Hmm. So what stands out to you when you look at his boyhood years in, in Geneva? What, what, what happens there that, think, that shapes the man he becomes? Uh, well, I think there's at least two different categories of things to look at. Uh, first off, uh, Geneva was incredibly uh, politically divided precisely because these patricians had 
uh, monopolized so much political power. Most people thought that they had uh, distorted the original constitution of the of the, the city. I should say, when I say most people, I should actually say most citizens, because only a small number of Genevans were citizens. More than half the population were descended from immigrants who had no political rights at all. Hmm. Uh, so there were what uh, some scholars have described as revolutions in Gallatin's uh, early years, so between the ages of about one and seven. Uh, and then another uh, revolution was just getting underway when Gallatin left in the spring of 1780. He leaves in the spring of 1780, goes where? Uh, the original plan was to go to Pennsylvania, to Philadelphia. Uh, that doesn't happen. He can only book passage to Boston. Uh, and they go, he and the, the, the man he was with, a man by the name of Henri Serre, go to Machias, which is basically the easternmost part of the District of Maine, hmm. uh, and spend some time. They fail in the Indian trade. Hmm. Uh, Gallatin and Serre spend a time tutoring uh, students in French at Harvard. Uh, but in Boston, he meets up with a land speculator from Lyon, and they begin speculating in land in the Ohio Valley, hmm. uh, more than 100,000 acres that they acquire by the mid-1780s. Wow. So let's get to land speculation in a minute. I want to uh, 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 go back to the 1780. It, it just occurred to me there's a, an American Revolution going on. That's right. Um, uh, is, is Gallatin aware of this? Is that what brings him to North America? What's, what's his connection with the American Revolution? So he does come over at the um, in the late stages of the War for Independence. He uh, is effectively a, a, a volunteer briefly at Machias in Maine, um, although he minimizes any kind of uh, real contributions to the war effort that he that he made. Um, but he he did volunteer. To what extent he was ideologically motivated to come to the United States is something of. Um, Different biographers have taken different stances on it. Hmm. Uh, he was certainly, uh, his primary motivation was economic. He wanted to make a, a fortune for himself. Uh, but he also seems to have been ideologically sympathetic. Okay. Did he ever, uh, in this brief moment of, of service, did, does he talk about this later in his life? Does he take pride in having served in the, in the Revolutionary War years? Uh, because he doesn't think his contribution was particularly uh Particularly meaningful, uh, he doesn't seem to have to to take a, an overmuch pride in it. But it's certainly, I mean, something he was willing to do. Mm-hmm. The reason I ask is, is it just stands out to me that the man you've described—it's hard to imagine him becoming a cabinet-level official in American politics. Uh, so clearly, a lot is going to happen between 1780 and Jefferson's election in 1800 to bring him uh, into the into the fore of, of American politics. So let's t- uh, let's talk about that. What is uh, once he makes his move, he's begun uh, speculating. We'll come back to that again. Um, he makes his move to Pennsylvania. Uh, is this immediately after Boston? I. It wasn't exactly clear that it was Pennsylvania, so this is actually what becomes southwestern Pennsylvania was still disputed with Virginia at the time. Oh, he's Uh, living out west. uh, More or less. So spending time in Richmond and then spending a lot of time in the backcountry and then spending time in Philadelphia as well. Wow. Um, Most of his early connections, though, are uh, with Virginians in Richmond. Okay. Um, But he ends up settling in what becomes... um, in what becomes southwestern Pennsylvania, Fayette County. And uh, what, what year are we at now in his life? So uh, by, by 1786. Okay. 
So this is a, again, a sort of a formative moment in, in American history. They, uh, the Constitution is in, in uh, it's, it's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, people uh, clearly are, are beginning to make calls for revisions to the political order by 1786. Um, is Gallatin thinking politics yet? Is he involved? Is he politically attuned? He is politically attuned. So he drafted uh, a petition to the Virginia State Legislature uh, calling for uh, better spending of public money on uh, roads and frontier defense. Uh, These are two issues that he would remain vocal in, um, even as he becomes elected to the the Pennsylvania State Legislature in 1790. Mm -hmm. Besides uh, being interested in state-level politics, though, he also... uh, is his first actually elected position is as an anti-federalist to an anti-federalist convention. I was in, about to ask. So in uh, Pennsylvania, um, why does he does he talk about his anti-federalism and, and give uh, a, a rationale? We do. We, we've some. We've some. We've some sense. Part of it is uh, the way that confederation and ratification politics mapped onto pre-existing political divisions in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly with respect to uh, a group of Pennsylvanians who were trying to amend or even replace the the very democratic state constitution of 1776. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Gallatin had procedural qualms about the ways the anti-constitution party, anti-state constitution party in Pennsylvania uh, was, were trying to go about it. Mm-hmm. He also had uh, very serious qualms about uh, just how small Congress under the constitution would be. He wanted to see a greater number of uh, congressmen so that people, so that the, the people would be closer to their, their representatives. These were two of his biggest Two of the biggest reasons he was an anti-federalist. So a, a, a truly democratic impulse there. Certainly a more democratic impulse yeah. than the one he saw in the Constitution. So uh, the Constitution becomes ratified, uh, and uh, you said he's elected to, to state office in 1790. Mm-hmm. Um, the 1790s in, in Pennsylvania, uh, actually uh, most decades in Pennsylvania in this, in this early period, are tumultuous in, 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 political, in political terms anyway. Uh, talk to me about the, set the stage for me, 1790 Pennsylvania politics, what, what's going on? Where, where does Gallatin fit in, and, and what, is, what is the real um, uh, state of affairs in Pennsylvania politics at this moment? So, um, so two things. I actually, so, I'd actually like to say something about the, the social context even before the political context, mm-hmm. and that's to to emphasize the degree to which Southwest Pennsylvania at this time was uh, a place characterized not only by anti-federalism. Anti-federalism is the, is the prevailing political sentiment, uh, but also still by uh, considerable uh, native white violence and fears regarding native white violence. These are really shaping. Contexts mm-hmm. um, for um, for Gallatin's both business enterprises and his his political trajectory, uh, but in the House he basically uh, in the State House, excuse me, he uh, is most identified because he's a Westerner with uh, with frontier defense, but also with uh, roads and canals, uh, with an attempt to to implement a statewide public education system. And then with uh, economic development, he's on committees, not only uh, almost every committee dealing with roads and canals, uh, committees dealing with uh, chartering corporations to undertake manufacturing, uh, but then also um, public finance and eventually pushing for um, 
the, the Bank of Pennsylvania. How long does he serve in, in state government? So he is in the, the state house through 1794. Whereupon he's he's briefly he is elected to the Senate, although he sits there very briefly, and uh, eventually joins the the House of the House of Representatives. We're talking the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives. Correct. So um, in this in this period, I, I'm still imagining a a relatively uh, fresh immigrant. Uh, we're only a, a decade away from his a decade and plus uh, of uh, his arriving in the United States. Um, is is he speaking with a thick accent? Uh, tell me about any any sense of that. By all accounts, he, he spoke with a thick accent throughout his uh, throughout his life, and something that uh, political po- opponents make. Um, uh, it's easy to caric- caricature him huh. for. Yeah, uh, and what does he look like, by the way? Have I- uh, bald early, okay. uh, supposedly um, a, a swarthy complexion, unkempt. Uh, some uh, so he's uh, although from an aristocratic background he was uh, not particularly uh, uh, polished in his appearance by all accounts. Everything you're describing again makes it hard for me to imagine him as a politically elected official. But yeah, that's a, it's an excellent point. So uh, you know some of the accounts that we have of him um, simply his breadth of information. And he has a, he has a reputation for for being um, a, a powerful uh, intellect and a, a clear a clear communicator despite the accent. Hmm. Okay, so we're now in the 1790s. George Washington is president, um, and and uh, let's go ahead and just focus on 1794, 95. Um, clearly, there's a lot going on in Washington's administration in terms of, of domestic uh, affairs. Uh, where where does Gallatin fit in? Um, tell us about this period and in, in the uh, his brief moment where he's elected into the Senate. Uh, where does he stand in relation to the Washington administration's policies? Uh, so he's he's a critic of the administration. Mm. Uh, he's a critic of of Hamilton, uh, both for Hamilton's reticence to to give detailed information on uh, national finances, um, but also the administration's uh, lurch toward Britain, even while calling it. Neutrality. He's a Francophile. His opponents say that he is pro-French. Uh, the, the reality is a little bit more complicated than that, uh, in no small part because of Geneva's history with France. So the, the patricians in Geneva, people like the Gallatins, uh, had long formed very close relationship with uh, particular French um, individuals. Uh, but also they were making quite a bit of money investing in the French public debt. In a related story, France also exerted a tremendous amount of political influence on the politics of Geneva, intervening several times in uh, Geneva's civil disputes. Hmm. Um, And this doesn't stop with the revolution. Uh, Basically, Jacobin-allied revolutionaries in Geneva toppled the government in 1794, uh, erected guillotine. Uh, wow. And under the directory, this is the, for, for for listeners. This is the uh, the period of French history in between the, the reign of terror and the rise of Napoleon. Uh, but under the directory, uh, France annexes Geneva. Hmm. Uh, so Gallatin's not really pro French. He is not, but he's he's pro neutrality and he's anti uh, uh, the United States pitching its 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 tent with Britain. Hmm. Okay. So he, he's revolutionary sympathetic, 
uh, a realist uh, in terms of geopolitics, I would say. Uh, we know, of course, that he's going to, to go on to become a, a leader of the Republican Party. Is he already interacting with Jefferson and Madison in these years in 1794, 95? Does he uh, does he know Hamilton? What What's his relationship with the, the household name founders that we might talk about in this period? Sure. So he's uh, they, they certainly would have uh, been crossing paths in Philadelphia, uh, a time when Philadelphia was both the, the state capital and the national capital in the uh, throughout most of the 1790s. Um, and certain, there are references, um, you know, there's Jefferson scribbles a note to Gallatin in, in 1791. Uh, Gallatin may have met Madison and Richmond uh, in the, the, the mid-1780s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gallatin very quickly makes a name for himself in, in national politics. He's already um, a leader of the Republicans in Congress by by early 1796, when uh, Republicans were still trying to prevent the implementation of the Jay Treaty. Is that the moment where he makes his mark? Uh, so the, yeah, there are really two episodes in 17. He's and I should say he's he already has a national reputation because uh, Hamilton and other Federalists tried to blame the Whiskey Rebellion on him in 1794. Well, let's pause there for a minute. Right. Uh, what what do they say that he did? Uh, first of all, remind people what the Whiskey Rebellion was. Uh, so what do they say about him? So the Whiskey Rebellion is is a rather dismissive name that uh, Hamilton and other Federalists coined. Uh, Certainly the, the most unpopular of the Federalist economic policies in Western Pennsylvania was an excise tax on whiskey. Uh, but there was broader discontent with the federal government's um, financial plan, uh, an un- what Westerners perceived as an unfair burden of taxation, uh, and also gripes about the federal government's inability to, uh, to conquer Indians in the Ohio country and to open up markets, particularly um, opening the, the Mississippi River. So you want to tax us, but you're not giving us what we exactly. want. Uh, and so Gallatin uh, plays an intermittent role in, these, um, in this opposition to the, to the Washington administration. Um, much of the time he's in Philadelphia, so he's actually not in the West very often, but he is there at a critical meeting in 1792, where uh, he's secretary of a meeting, so his his name is on the the um, the words that come out uh, that basically calls for uh, public violence against excise collectors to make mm-hmm. sure that they don't wow. um, implement policies. Um, but he also plays a role uh, in 1794, uh, basically preventing uh, actual armed defense when word spreads that uh, Washington is sending an army. Hmm. Um, but uh, Gallatin gets reports from friends in the West saying that uh, Hamilton is trying to get people to to testify against you. Hamilton wants you dead. It's, uh, he, he gets some pretty interesting letters from wow. friends in the West. Wow. And so he already has a reputation by 1794, and it's only worsened in Federalists' views uh, by 1796, when he's uh, one of the basically two leaders of uh, Republican opposition to the Jay Treaty. And then by the end of the year, when he publishes his long criticism of Hamilton's uh, tenure as Secretary of Treasury, uh, a sketch of the finances of the United States. And I'm imagining that's where people begin to see him as someone who might be able to uh, go head-to-head with Hamilton as, as, an, as a financial planner for the nation. That's right. Um, and... 
Federalists who are looking on, uh, seeing this happen, uh, basically uh, see Gallatin as, as making a very calculated political decision. He's an opportunist, uh, recognizing that this is a weak, a weak, uh, a weak part of the of the the political toolkit of most other uh, Republicans um, who don't seem to have the the chops. Uh, to, to go up against Hamilton's number crunching. Right. Uh, Gallatin's confident that he does, and he, he makes his reputation that way. We're getting uh, very close to, to the election of 1800, but I want to stop for a minute and look at the, the Western lands uh, that you described. You mentioned uh, the, the phrase land speculation. Is he wealthy? Is he, is he making a, a fortune off of his Western investments? Uh, it, it, tell us about the scope and scale. Uh, so he is... Uh, He's certainly wealthy by the terms of Western Pennsylvania. Uh, he is not spectacularly wealthy in the in the sense of land speculators in the Ohio Valley or you know merchants in um, seaboard cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he he comes to the United States with a small inheritance. He gets other small inheritances throughout the the, the early 1790s, although uh, through the mid 1790s. Uh, although not nearly as much as he probably expected as a young man, mainly because of the uh, the financial chaos of France in the revolutionary period uh, hurt most of his and his family's investments uh, tremendously. Uh, and looking forward, I know he lives. Uh, what year does he pass away? Uh, not for a long time, 1849. 1849. So uh, clearly there's a long future to talk about that we need to get to in a second. But does he stay involved in, in Western lands uh, throughout his life? Does he, is this something that's a youthful endeavor? Uh, no, he, he's, uh, he does. He stays involved uh, throughout most of his life, even as he begins other kinds of endeavors. So I should say that the I mentioned earlier the revolution in Geneva uh, in 1794 actually produces a substantial Geneva exodus of, of mainly uh, patricians. Uh, and Gallatin is briefly uh, considering trying to create a Geneva colony hmm. in, uh, in Pennsylvania. He ends up actually founding a town, New Geneva. On the land that he owns, I uh, Yeah. Okay. And he and business partners, mm-hmm. uh, a brother-in-law, we can talk about the Nicholson family in just a moment, um, but several other Genevans as well. Uh, and it actually begins, uh, it's a, he establishes a manufacturing complex. He's unique among national uh, Democratic-Republican leaders as actually being uh, the proprietor of, of manufacturing enterprises, hmm. including the first glass works west of the Alleghenies. Interesting. Okay, so you mentioned in, in law. Uh, I, I hadn't thought to ask about his personal life. Uh, does he does he get married when he shortly after he comes to the United States, or so he he actually marries uh, um, a young woman from Richmond uh, in. The late 1780s, she passes away very quickly after their marriage. Mm. Uh, in the early 1790s, he marries uh, Hannah Nicholson, uh, which is significant because her father is uh, Commodore James Nicholson, prominent mm-hmm. from the, the War for Independence, uh, and also uh, one of the leading uh, Republican merchants in New York. So apart from Gallatin's personal uh, talents accounting for his political rise. Uh, he's also crucial because he represents a very strong link in the the political coalition that Republicans were forming 
uh, particularly between Westerners in Pennsylvania and uh, uh, Republicans in New York City. Hmm, very good. That's so good. one of Gallatin's early political allies is Aaron Burr. All right. Well, that gets us to the election of 1800. Um, uh, where, where Does he know that if Jefferson's elected, he's at, likely to be asked to become Secretary of the Treasury? Do you have a sense of this? I do. Yeah, he, he certainly suspects it. Uh, although he also knows that uh, federalist animosity against him is so strong that it's not a sure thing that he could that he would be uh, that the Senate would approve him. So uh, when we um, uh, see him uh, come in as Secretary of the Treasury, uh, it's um, uh, you've already described his his aptitude. How does he do as Secretary of the Treasury? Does he does he achieve at the level that Hamilton did? Uh, he enjoyed very fortunate circumstances for most of uh, Jefferson's two terms. Uh, so he and Jefferson were on the same page in wanting to pay down the debt much more quickly than the Federalists had done. Uh, and they did that in no small part by slashing military and naval spending. Uh, so that combined with flourishing American commerce, which was bringing in a lot of customs revenue, uh, allowed the administration to think that they would actually be able to pay off the debt very quickly, even after acquiring uh, the Louisiana Territory. Hmm. The embargo changed that. 1807. Exactly. So uh, when uh, the administration and Congress uh, basically stopped all American commerce, customs revenue stopped coming in. And when that happened, uh, Gallatin had to do more uh, financial maneuverings. And beyond simply affecting how quickly they could pay down the debt, uh, it also prevented uh, a program that Gallatin was extremely optimistic for, which was a national program for uh, roads and canals to increase market access for mm. Americans, as a both as an economic development measure and also a, um, a social measure to bring Knit uh, the nation America. together. Quite right. And that never comes to be. Uh, a national program never comes to be, although it is in Jefferson's administration that the federal government builds its first uh, infrastructure project, uh, the National Road. Hmm. Can- I'm sorry, connecting uh, basically the Potomac and the Ohio River. Jefferson serves his two terms. What happens to Gallatin after that? Uh, Madison asked him to stay on. I thought so. Gallatin had been hoping that Madison would ask him to be Secretary of State. Uh, Federalists, but also Republican opponents of Gallatin, uh, say that uh, an immigrant shouldn't be in charge of uh, the country's diplomacy. Hmm. Madison asks asks him to stay on at Treasury, and, he, and Gallatin does. Well, I, I've made the mistake of spending so many so much time on his uh, earlier life, uh, but there's a long life to live. What what when does first of all when does he finally leave federal service? Federal service? Uh, not for a while yet. So uh, he is uh, on the negotiating team that ends the War of 1812. Mm. After that, he spends um, about seven years as U.S. Minister to France in Paris. Uh, in that stint, uh, he also uh, does some negotiating as Minister to Great Britain. Uh uh, and he's named minister to, to Great Britain. He serves in 1826-1827. So, uh, so that's when he leaves. After that, he's, he's done with, with federal service. But he does, in fact, represent the United States abroad for a good, a good amount of his life. Um, after that, 
what is what is Gallatin's life like? Uh, it's, it remains interesting. He's uh, a leader of the New York banking community. He becomes president of a bank with uh, uh, John Jacob Astor's money, hmm. uh, the National Bank of the City of New York. Uh, he's in that role for all of the 1830s. He plays a very prominent role in uh, the the bank wars of the of the Jackson administration. Does and he side with Jackson or against him? Uh, he was initially an advocate of the of the Bank of the United States, although after uh, the the president of the bank's irresponsible uh, behavior in Gallatin's opinion in in calling in all its loans in an attempt to put political pressure on the administration, uh, Gallatin turns against the bank and he comes to advocate uh, what's called uh, uh, free banking. Um, and then in the 1840s, he's a leading opponent of uh, the aggressive expansionism, the manifest destiny of the of the Tyler and Polk administrations. And that's something uh, that I, I think we should briefly describe uh, is Gallatin's relationship with Native Americans. It seems like from the first moment that he arrives in North America, he's involved in the Indian uh, trade uh, and seems to be uh, always living in places that put him in immediate contact uh, with Native Americans uh, in Western Pennsylvania, and and and, um, and and then of course after that he's, he's in federal service. But uh, what what is his sense of, of of Native Americans? Does he see them as a vanishing race? Does he? I don't know. Tell us about his 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 relationship with Native America. So I um, I I think it's a really important question to ask. So uh, you're right. He's uh, he early on tries his hand at the Indian trade. He has early investments in uh, in settlements undone by by native white violence. He is a voice for a vigorous prosecution of frontier uh, defense uh, in the 1780s and 90s. And his own view of national development was premised on land sales which means it's premised on dispossession. Here, let me actually read you a very short quote. This is from a book that he wrote in 1836. Hmm. If a scrupulous regard had always been paid to the rights of the Indians, this nation would not have sprung into existence. The fact is not less true that it has always been created at their expense. Hmm. So he was under no illusions about what uh, economic development of the early United States meant. Uh, but he was also interested in Native people uh, in what we would call anthropological interests. Uh, he's actually the leading ethnologist of, in the United States in the 1830s and 40s. Hmm. And he's uh, particularly significant in being uh, the first to... Uh, to provide a comprehensive linguistic classification of, of uh, Native North America. Wow. So he's a man of many talents, uh, and uh, it's, you, you want to write a biography of him, uh, and, and you're currently working on that here at the Washington Library. Um, what, what do you think is going to be the real takeaway if someone has a, an opportunity to really engage with the full life of, of, of Albert Gallatin? What, what does that tell us about the early American Republic? So certainly, I think one of the things that interests me uh, most about Gallatin uh, is his long life. So the, the the fact that he's someone who's politically active from the end of the Confederation period uh, through uh, 
the U.S.-Mexican War. That's an extraordinarily long public life. But it's also one that was uh, originally... His original, he originally took shape in Geneva, in the, the Europe of the old regime. Hmm. And his connections in Europe remained important uh, throughout his life. And not simply the time he's, he spent in, in Ghent and Paris and London. Uh, this is, these are also experiences that he brings to bear as he's thinking about political problems and social problems in the United States throughout that long career. It's fascinating. When do you think you'll have this biography out into the world? Oh, my goodness. Um, years from now. Years from now. Uh, well, he lived a long life. He did. He did. He did. Uh, I would think uh, I think five or six years is, uh, is, is ambitious but realistic. Well, thank you so much for the preview. I really enjoyed hearing about it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a delight. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.